Talking to children in schools about where food comes from is super important. In this episode, I talked to Farmer Luke, a Fenland farmer who, in his spare time, chats to primary and secondary school children about food production and career opportunities before heading back to the farm to tend to his crops. Stay tuned for more insight. Hello, welcome to the Countryside Kitchen Meats, a food and farming podcast. I'm Millie Fife, your host. I'm a mum of two, farmer's wife, food producer, and passionate about flying the flag for British food and farming. Today we'll be chatting to Farmer Luke, an arable farmer from Cambridgeshire. Then I've got a few time-saving hacks when it comes to mealtime preparation and some recipes to share, meaning you can juggle family life with the children and cook a tasty, nutritious meal too. Okay, let me introduce you to my guest. Tenanted Fenland farmer Luke Ablett farms at Daintree Farm, Ramsey St Mary's on the Fens in East Anglia. An NFU community farming hero, Luke is passionate about highlighting the advantages of a career in agriculture and inspiring the next generation. I first met Luke when I was chairman for the National Federation of Young Farmers Clubs. He supported a rural road safety campaign I was championing and represented members of Cambridgeshire Young Farmers whilst we lobbied the then Minister of Agriculture, Sir Jim Pace MP. Luke is very active on social media with videos detailing life on the farm and I'm sure we'll talk a lot more about this on the podcast today. So without further ado, let's chat to Luke. Hello, how are you? Too bad. How are you? I'm all right, thank you. It's so nice to catch up. It's been a long time, hasn't it? A good few years. <laughs> was well, it well over ten years, isn't it? More than yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I think social media is such a wonderful thing that you know we've been able to keep in touch and know what each other's doing. I mean, you're not a million miles away from me either. So you know, but we we literally haven't seen or spoken to each other for probably ten years. At least, at least, nearly about 15. But yeah, no, it's really weird. Yeah, yeah, that's it, that's it. But farming, I think farming is quite a, you know, we're well connected and, you know, I think we're, we're good at keeping in touch. And I think, especially on Twitter or Instagram, you know, it's very visual and you kind of get, get a feel for what people are doing. Definitely, especially with young farmers as well, because you always remember someone from your young farmer days. And it's so weird, it's so weird how it all works because, like, um, you also have age groups. And we we're in the same age kind of kind of group, weren't we? So when yeah. we were kind of finishing Young Farmers, we started a family and stuff like that. It's just weird how they kind of parallel yeah. within a few years of each other. It's so weird. Yeah, definitely. But I mean, that's that's the beauty of how like this podcast and my food blog has worked because I've basically pulled on my contact network for people that I've known through Young Farmers, and we're all we're all doing really well in our own businesses in food and farming and I know that I can pick up the phone to different people all around the country and go you know you would you come on a podcast would you come on a food blog and because the beauty of farmers as well is like the public speaking the kind of confidence in being able to speak in public I think is really sort of helped with that don't you think oh yeah definitely definitely so the contacts you make for young farmers I still deal with them now mm. in the public Speaking like the chatterbox, I was four years running champion. I'm just going to kind of side that one in. <laughs> but it gives you the confidence when you like meeting new people and get yourself, especially when you go for like like we did, like chairmanships, when you have to go and meet other clubs and counties and stuff like that, where you don't, you get out of your comfort zone, don't you? Meet new people. And like you said, then you, you make really good connections. You know, people up and down the country. Yeah. And what, 
so yeah, no, definitely. That's a little bit of a bit of a flag for young farmers. <laughs> oh yeah, no, absolutely. And and then when you go to like agricultural shows, it doesn't matter where you go in the country. You know, if you walked into the young farmer tent or the NFU tent or whatever it is, or just walked down the cattle line, you generally know you're going to bump into somebody or be like, oh my goodness, I haven't seen you for years, or you know, yeah. and, and I think and it and that's that. You know, I think you always remember because not only is it like the skills that you learn, it's the friends and and the kind of the parties and the social side of things as well and the mindset as well because if you're just talking to someone and you mention young farmers and they go i used to be a young farmer then automatically i don't know what it is i don't know if you found this but all of a sudden just kind of mellows a little bit and you feel more connected with them and then you i don't know you just feel like you know them even though you don't because yeah well oh yeah yeah Uh, it's not very you know and then you go oh well you know in that county i know x well you know i know that person oh yeah you know and it it is you know it's a little bit uh you know you're never too far away from someone you know and it depending on which county you're in it's yeah it's brilliant yeah no we we could harp on about young farmers all day i'm sure (laughs) 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 but anyway tell me about your backstory how did you get into farming were you born into farming or you know how, how did it all begin for you Luke? I was born into farming. Mm-hmm. Uh, my dad's a farmer. He's got the original family farm. Now, this is where it gets not too complicated, but I come from a very large family farming background, if you like. So dad's got the original family farm, but he's also got a brother that farmed at a Cambridgeshire County tenancy, and his son still farms now. And then another one of dad's cousins, he got the other side of the family farm, and another one there got another tenancy. They used to be my great-granddad's tenancy. Another couple of cousins farm. So you can see like the farming network kind of, I just kind of brought, kind of grew up into it, you know. It's, mm. it's the only kind of known because everyone in my family, there's, apart from one of dad's brothers, which is an accountant, which is useful, but mm. apart from that, the whole family farmed. Yeah. So we had family gets together. That's, that's all you knew. It was just tractors, agriculture. So, that, yeah, so when, uh, when I was growing up, obviously obsessed with tractors, and that's all yeah. I wanted to do. Yeah. And then um, went for college, went to Moulton at Northampton, then went to Milton at Cambridge to learn all about agriculture. And then uh, started applying for Cambridgeshire County tenancies. Mm-hmm. I've done a little bit in the meantime. I used to grow a, an acre or two of potatoes and used to sell to local chip shops. I used to have yep. to dig them all by hand because I used to have the field corners to do them. And I used to deliver on a Friday night as well, make sure I got cash for the weekend to go to the old farm parties. <laughs> Nice, I like it. That's quite entrepreneurial as well, isn't yeah. it? It's, it's it, you know, it's setting you up, you know, the, a good sort of um, mindset, really, isn't it? Kind of work hard, play hard. It's I wasn't I wasn't happy like waiting for the family farm, if you know what I mean, because mm. there's a bit of an age like age gap, and I knew dad dad's never going to retire. You know, the people they're just going to keep going and going and going. And dad is yeah. one of so, and I'm, it's not great. The family farm's only a well, dad's family farm. It's only about 200 acres just over. So it's not a great, it's not a great big farm either. It's not like I've got 1,000, 2,000 acres to take. So mm. um, I, I knew about tenancies because a lot of the family had one. Mm. So I started applying for Cambridgeshire County tenancies. But um, it was, I, people think because like the family was on the estate anyway, there was just literally, oh, here's Luke, give him a, give him a tenancy, if you know what I mean. But there was, mm. 50, there was 56 applicants for my farm. Mm. And I was the best one. Even to this day, I've got no idea how I did it. I, I think you so. were one of the. I remember when you got it because weren't you like one of the youngest people? Yeah. To ever, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But then yeah. someone else beat me a few years ago by like a month or something. I was twenty-one when I got the holding. Yeah. So the holding was actually three hundred and twenty acres, and they gave me a hundred and eighty because yeah. I was so young. I split it and then put the rest out to tender for another three years. 
But there was me and another guy in it, and he was only a couple of years older than me, actually. He was only about 23, 24, so there was looking to be younger applicants at the time. Yeah. Lucky enough, like I said, I got it. But no, I was proper young when I got it. Looking back, I was really young. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But for listeners, I mean, you know, um, a tenancy, I mean, there's different types of tenancies, isn't there? But you've got a county. So some counties within the UK uh, have pockets of land that they kind of then basically invite people to tender for to farm for a certain period of time. So you don't own the land, but you pay a rent to... Yeah farm that land for a certain amount of time yeah that's yeah that's yeah so the Cambridgeshire county council are actually the biggest council owned landlords in the country mm-hmm. oh, they got i should have got the figures but they got a ridiculous amount of hectareage and i think there's nearly 300 tenants so that kind of gives you an idea of how big they are mm. and there's a lot of um, other counties that still have land they sold a lot off yeah so there is something still tender for uh, the church has got a fair bit as well so it's not just um, there's, it's, it's not just you putting a rent and then an application for there's business proposals, cash yeah. flows, SWOT analysis. There's a whole range of paperwork you need to, to do to apply to it. So it's not just a, a bid; the highest bidder gets it, so so to speak. But no, I don't own I don't own the farm. I rent it from the county council. All that money goes back in the county council's pot as well. So that pays for schools and um, yeah. all, all the other services. When I first got the farm, when I was 21. I had a five-year tenancy. That's all they gave me. Yeah. Just float and stuff but um then i've got i think i'm on a 15 years now so far business tenancy um but now they started offering longer tenancies because farm is changing i think we'll probably get on to that mm. it's not mm. just um there's a lot more emphasis on the environment carbon and stuff and that's just not an overnight thing you can do it's, it's a an investment yeah investment for a few years so now actually they started to to um give longer tenancies but if anyone hasn't got a family farm to take on and want to get into farming, the county council farms are the best way to get in it. Yeah. They don't they really they they don't look at your background, they don't, you know what's the word I'm looking for? They don't discriminate if you're not a farmer. Yeah, they, yeah, yeah. They, they give everyone an e- it's an equal opportunity. So, you know, yes. it's kind of a professional way of kind of uh, in, inviting people to apply for that opportunity. And it is kind of a stepping stone, isn't it, onto yeah. Bigger and better things. Yeah, yeah. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say it's easy because it's really. It's, no. it's, it's really not. You really got to have a good head on you, and you got to know what you want to do, and you got to come with a proper plan. It's not like I want to farm, right? What are you going to do it with? Uh, and there's no kind of backup, if you know what I mean. Mm. Mm. So, yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of risk, isn't there? Oh, great mm. lot of risk. Great, even even to me now, and I've been established what well over ten years. There's still risk now in my business. Mm. But, but risk is okay as long as, long as it's a manageable risk. Like potatoes, for instance, I grow some potatoes on my farm. So on my farm, I grow wheat, sugar beet, uh, potatoes, also grape, barley, and a couple of spring crops, like spring barley and stuff like that. But the potatoes are the biggest gamble at the minute we have. The potato market is just fluctuates so much compared to anything else. Mm. And that is the, I think that's the main, mainly driven by supply and demand. Mm. So it's not like wheat where there's always a there's always a market for it. People always want it in bread, feed wheat for animals and stuff like that. Potatoes mm. seem to be um if you're not in the process, there's two different types of uh, potato selling, if you like. There's the processing game, which goes to make your frozen chips, your frozen jacket potatoes, stuff like yeah. that. And there's the chip shop trade, which I'm still in, which is the old school, your high street fish and chip. Yeah, bag, bag of spuds, yeah, jobs are good, yeah. and chuck it in the chipper, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but yeah that, that's what I grow for. 
Mm. Um, and that game's getting, with people getting less money, people are not going to chip shops, not buying the, 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 the chips or fish and stuff. So that always fluctuates on a weekly basis. The process, now people are probably looking, why don't I grow processing it? There's more, you know, people always have frozen chips and stuff. The, um, the specifications that they want on potatoes is ridiculous. So they want the same kind of size, if you like. They want yeah. the same skin colour. They've got to look right. So that's where wonky veg comes in. They don't want wonky veg. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas the chip shop people do not care what they look like. As long as they fry and they're big, that's all they care about. Yeah. And then there's always, with a processing game, it's always, you've got contracts, potatoes could be worth more, they're not going to honour it less than they'll find problems with it. My mm-hmm. mate keeps laughing, I've seen the fish, the, the fish and chip game, bagging them, he sells them to processors, he's had boxes go missing, they've had lorry loads go missing, they don't know where they're gone, mm-hmm. you know, paid for some tonnes because it's not been calculated. So, yes, yeah, so that's so that's a that's a... Bit of a bit of whistle stop tour of potato game there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's all it's all part of the bigger picture, isn't it? Because you know, whatever crop you are growing, there's always some element of risk because you're always, you know, trying to manage the weather and the commodity prices, and you know, there's so much that goes into it. That it's not just a case of getting a crop in the ground and you know looking after it and then digging it up and oh yeah, then you get whatever you think you're going to get for it. It doesn't just doesn't work like that, does it? Oh. It doesn't work like that because people sometimes forget that farmers like myself, we're businesses. Yeah. We, we, we've got inputs and outputs the same as any other, any other business that, that we deal with. And sometimes we forget that because of the nostalgia of farming that used to be. Mm. Like, I, know, I know we're growing food and we need to grow food that people want. But at the same time, if we're not making money out of it, I'm not going to grow it. Because mm. I've still got to live and I've still got to turn a profit. Well, some people just still think you like you said, plant, plant it in the ground, oh, harvest time, get a bag of wheat and then take the Mr. Tesco's here. Mm. It's, glo- it's done on the global market. The mm. best way to describe them when I sell a crop is to, it's like sitting at a blackjack table in Vegas. Mm. You've got Delta price. Do you want to stick today or do you want to see what happens tomorrow? Because that could go up, that could go down. Yeah. It fluctuates. You know, it could go up a couple of quid, it can go up a tenner. Mm. And you think that's not enough on a tonne, but when you put it over a thousand tonne, that's a lot of money just coming mm. out of nowhere by, mm. by doing nothing and just waiting an extra day. Mm. Mm, mm. and then and then it yeah like you said the quality of the crops as well you know spuds can go really bad really quickly can't they you've got them in oh. the ground and if it's too wet they go all soggy or you know and all the disease that you know and that's just potatoes it's not even you know sugar beets a whole different kettle of fish isn't it potatoes oh, <laughs> are the biggest gamble they're like the gamble crop if you like you can make an absolute fortune one year but people have lost their businesses because the potatoes are not growing They've gone bad in store. They've gone bad in the ground. The price has dropped dramatically to what mm. they're putting in. This year especially. Um, this this year, like, um, people have people have changed now. They've got fridges, if you like. Basically, the sheds can turn into a fridge and they put mm. the potatoes in there. That's all electric. And, of course, mm. everyone knows what's happened to the electric bill. Mm. And now the electric's worth more than the store of potatoes. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's, yeah it's, it's absolutely ludicrous, isn't it? And, I mean, that, that's sort of one of those sort of business sense uh, sayings about never put all your eggs in one basket, isn't it? Yeah. Which is why you then grow, not only you grow potatoes, but you grow your sugar beet, you grow your wheat. And then you, because you've only got a certain amount of field, you then have a rotation, don't you? So that you're always sort of looking at uh, rotating them to prevent the disease and um, the, keep the soil nutrition as well, which is a big thing. Yeah, definitely. No, so we always have a, the, the crop rotation I do a year. This is what um, I was going about school talks. It like blows the kids' minds. <laughs> so normally, the rotation normally goes wheat, wheat, 
and then or wheat and barley, then followed by a root crop, so it could be sugar beet or potatoes, and then a, then we'll go back to wheat, wheat, cereal will get in there. This is where it gets complicated. I've got all seed rape back in it, but all seed rape I keep five to six years away from when sugar beet were planted and vice versa for the nematodes. Potatoes one in 10 years. And then you've got to make sure you're not growing so much of one crop because you need, you know, it might, it might mess you up for a couple of years rotation after that. Mm. I know I try to explain it as best I can, but it's so complicated. When you sit in there, it's putting a massive jigsaw puzzle together. And you're yeah. like, right, if I put that field into this this year, then two years later when I want it that that crop I can't do that anymore yeah. so it's really yeah so when you're sitting there planning I'm planning my crop right I normally plan like two or three years ahead but normally it gets tweaked if something's not made enough money then you scale back like the potatoes I was planning to do 22-24 acre this year but potato price dropped so therefore yeah. my potatoes are gone like the cash I was going to put into a cart so I had to scale that back plus the supply and demand and the same with sugar beet. Actually, I've upped my acreage, even though this year's been disastrous. Mm. I found it. The sugar beet's a different crop. Do you want me to talk about? Yeah, 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 but yeah, exactly. <laughs> beet factory and stuff. Yeah, exactly. So I went around with Whissington, and it, I mean, you know, again, you know, the sugar story is just it's something that I'm really passionate about, and I know you are too. Stuff that people don't don't think about where sugar comes from. They literally think it's been imported because sugar cane gets a lot of the, the limelight, if you like. But mm. we grow homemade sugar beet in this country, homemade sugar. So the sugar beet works a little bit different to any other crop that I grow. One, we actually sign a contract direct with British Sugar. Mm-hmm. I don't do that with any other crops, but that's direct. So I, I have to grow a certain amount of tonnage. Mm-hmm. That's my contract. I can't grow over it. And if I grow, I can't grow under it. I get paid literally nothing if I grow over it. And if I go under it, they based on a five-year average. So if I don't reach the quota, you know, bang on five years, if you like, I don't get offered another one. Mm. So, uh, we buy the seed direct from British Sugar, uh, and then everything's done even up to harvesting. So I still harvest myself. I get someone in, cut it to the factory. Sugar beets, the only thing we actually store outside as well. Yeah. So it's farmed in a different way. So we have a little bit of different equipment. So we need different drills to drill it. We can't use mm. our corn drill. It's all drilled in rows, so we get sunshine and enough water. Mm. Uh, and then we harvest it. And the, 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 the harvest day as well actually goes from when the factory opens to the factory closes. So you've got plenty of time to get it up whenever you want. Mm. As long as you're fixing with your system, you want wheat after it, they need to get up sooner and so forth. Mm. This year, I don't know if anyone has seen it, but it's been a disastrous year for sugar beet because mm. it's been really cold. Mm. Now, normally sugar beet can quite happily cope with them temperatures. But the problem is because it was so dry when we planted and we got no rain, they had mm. no top. So the top was very, well, everyone knows the grass didn't grow very well. It's the same with sugar beet. It needs mm. the leaves to then make the sugars. And also when it comes to cold weather to protect it, half the sugar beet, we're nearly three quarters of sugar beet's underground. It's just the top little bit that pokes out. Yeah. And unfortunately this year, because we don't have enough top, it all died back. The frost actually got inside of the sugar beet and started freezing it inside out. Mm. Other way, it would have been a problem that the, the sugar beet factory can process it. They can process frozen beet. But the minute, I think, because there's so much frozen beet going in from the inside out, there's not enough sugar to take out. Um, mm. The loads are actually rejected and they're not buying them. Mm. But luckily enough, the NFU negotiated policy a few years back, whereas this happened, um, it's been happening quite regularly more than, more than just this year. But there was no back, there was no backup for us. So as soon as the beet got frozen, that was it. We lost that crop. Yeah. And then yeah. it affected our delivery to the factory. They didn't take that in consideration. So they only actually negotiated with British Sugar to um, get a policy in place. Yeah. Which really, we're talking about when these beets got frozen and we was um, we we couldn't send the British Sugar. We're only talking that was only worth nineteen quid a ton. 
The sugar beet, the sugar beet game's crazy. Back in the 60s, 70s, 80s, it was really good crop. I mean, for mm. the 90s, then getting into when I just left school, it started slipping down. British sugar didn't to pay the growers enough to grow the beet. Uh, you can actually buy quota at the time. So if you wanted quota, you had to go and buy the quota, the same as milk. Yeah. Then that all went out because British sugar kept driving the price down. Everyone went, now nah, we're, we're not going to grow it anymore. Yeah. Then they, then they started realising we're losing sugar beet growers, so they had to mm. buy that and start offering more money. And actually, we are getting more money now yeah. than what we did back in the day. So yeah. No, yeah. It's a really weird game. To be yeah, 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 but it's good that you've got that kind of almost insurance policy now. Um, so that yeah. if it, you know, so you do get compensated. But it, I mean, you know, the weather has been, you know, cold, then mild, then cold, then mild, and that's just played absolute havoc. And like you say, like you know, if you've got a little garden or what have you, you will have noticed that anyway. Um, and you know, I grow a small amount of crops in my in my veg garden, and just you know, like kale and Brussels sprouts and things like that. And I mean, that's gone cold, and then because it's gone mild so quickly, it's just gone all mushy, you know, yeah. because the frost has got in. And yeah, they they can withstand um those cold environment, you know, that they they used to have, but because the temperature <laughs> is so up and down all the time. It's we haven't just had a long period of cold. It's just been yeah, very very changeable, which is all part of climate change, isn't it? And what we're all yeah. trying to trying to navigate our way through in our own businesses. Um, so let's move on to you know some of the projects that you're involved with. So you you, you get involved with a lot of um projects engaging school children oh, um yeah. in um where their food comes from. Um, tell me a little bit more about that. You've alluded to it already, but it'd just oh, be yeah. nice for the listeners to know. It is a massive passion of mine is um, getting kids to know where their food comes from. Um, I got involved, uh, my, funny enough, my mum actually works in a school. She's a teacher. She's a mm-hmm. preschool practitioner. And this is where it's all kind of, dad used to go in every year with a tractor and just do a brief what we do on the farm and stuff. And I, I done it one year. I'd done it slightly different to what dad done. And I thought, actually, I like this. And some of the kids didn't quite know where the food comes from. And the more you delve into it, the more kids and sometimes the general public are disconnected with where food comes from. They, their basically thoughts are food needs to be cheap and available mm-hmm. and they don't really care where it comes from as long as it's in the, free, you know, the fridge and they can get hold of it. And also as well, started, what really drives me even more was when you go around a supermarket, there's not many families shopping together. Mm-hmm. Not many people take the kids with them. They don't go with the kids after work to go shopping. It's more of a chore now than what it was back in the day when they kind of, you know, you selected the produce. Mm-hmm. And some kids don't even know now. Like, there's an old joke about um, where does where does food come from, where do potatoes grow, you know. They always go to the supermarket. Mm-hmm. Well, that joke's kind of not funny anymore. We're clicking, we're clicking collect. People get delivered late on when the kids are in bed. So literally they open the cupboard door, there's the food. There's food. And I got in, so I started on that. And then there's another uh, organization called Kids Country, with the East of England Showground, that asked us to come and do some, um, just come and help them, just do some stuff on a microphone. They have a massive event every year. Mm. Um, I got involved in that. And they said, Do you want to come to a couple of events we put on? And I was like, Yeah, can do. Mm. And one of them was the potato day. So we plant potatoes with the children and I show them how it's grown and watering, how to care for it. Yeah. And they do breakfast week as well, where they go into schools and we explain. Uh, just breakfast stuff. So I explained wheat, how I grow up on my farm. Yeah. And kind of that's when it started. And I started doing some talks by myself and get, like emailing schools to see if they want me to come and do it. And like, like I said, it's, it's just, it's, it's a bit worrying how much children don't know about food. They're, mm. they're, yeah. They love chapters. They love finding out where stuff comes from, especially when they're younger. Cause I've got a young kid. We're buying him clothing. There's loads of tractor stuff. There's loads <laughs> of 
toys, animals. Tractor Ted, you know. And then when they get like school age, all of a sudden it just disappears. Mm. And there's nothing after that. Mm. And that's why I like to come in. I do talks to younger kids. So five to 11 and then 11 to 16. Mm-hmm. So I'll separate them because they get different talks. Mm. So with the younger kids, with Farmer Luke and Kids Country, um, I do the five to 11 roles. They get the whole, this is how we farm. So they get me, what crops are grown on farm. I normally talk about wheat, sugar, beer, and potatoes because they're the most easiest items mm. they get and think in their brain. Now, I always say I start like start off growing wheat. The journey of wheat all starts with a farm on a tractor and a plough. Now I take some scale models in with me. Yeah, so I've got some little Britain scale little toys. Yeah, I do, I do take a tractor, but it's hard to get a combine into school. <laughs> yeah, wait for the gates. Yeah, <laughs> I take a little mini combine so they know, like, so they can see it working in an imaginary field if you like. So I say the wheels plough the crop, crop in plough the fields. Now, many people listen to this or, or know a little about agriculture. We don't do that anymore. Mm. So I've had several conversations with people saying you shouldn't tell the kids that. But my argument is they've just literally read the little red hen. Mm. There's no little books about agriculture. The farmer plows the field. So therefore, in their mind, I'm planning the fields. So I show them how we grow. Then I get my little drill out. And then I explain about sunshine and rain, you know, what, the, what do plants need to grow, then harvest them. And then we see what it turns into. So the wheat goes to flour, make bread and stuff like that. Yeah. Now, I separate the older kids because the older kids get a different talk now. Yeah. When I go to the older kids, they don't get the scale models anymore. And I do a lot of this with um, energy education as well. So we go in and actually explain, explain what we actually do as farmers. So now we're bringing in uh, what we do for the climate. So we just said about what we're doing for climate change. So we've got the uh, carbon. We don't actually move the soil as much as we want now. Variable rate seed, variable rate fertilizer spreaders, showing maps of drones that have been put up and where we plant, yeah. and then crop rotations. It just like the um, or how we sell crops in the global markets, graphs and stuff like that. It just blows their mind. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Or thinking about where their food comes from as well. So, and also some of it is to tackle some of the mis, like the false information that's out. Yes. Like, out. It's nothing more frustrating when you read something on social media like, well, that's not true, but mm. then people think that it is. Mm. So, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of going in, especially with energy education, going in to explain actually don't believe any real facts you, fact you hear just because it, this says that. It's, so it's, it's the same when you buy your phone. If they said that like this, like this particular phone is awesome, brilliant, do you believe it or do you read reviews? Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's about your you know, food and where the food comes from. Are you going to just double check that to make sure that they're, they're, they're not lying? Yeah, and that's so important because it's young, uh, impressionable minds, isn't it? And it's yeah. kind of like, you know, you are, you know, I always sort of think back to, you know, how I was brought up and some of the things that I do with my children is what our parents did. Um, <laughs> and so if it's sort of ingrained in them at, at this sort of age, then it, it's, uh, yeah, they are very impressionable. And I think talking to children about, farming and food production you know you're applying science you're looking at business you know there's the maths element there's the physics there's the chemistry there's all those different things and not only from a kind of understanding how food is produced but also inspiring the next generation to actually think they're not they might not be born into farming but it is a career option for them oh definitely i do 100 get that especially with the older kids like when i start with the older kids i i I hate to think I'm there to lecture them. Mm. Like also at the start, also at the start, like they're old enough now, like they're, 
they're normally around 13 or upwards. It's like, right, you're turning into adults here. I'm not coming with a load of propaganda mm. because um, I, I grow crops and we're going about livestock and stuff like that. I said, it's literally none of my concern whether you're eating them or not. Yeah. I mean, you, all, you can all make your own mind up. You've all got the right to do what you want, but just don't, don't take stuff at face value. Dig a bit deeper and don't feel bad about eating meat either. Mm. I think locally sourced, especially from any British beef you buy, lamb, pork, you know, it's all done in a sustainable way. It's different to what it is. So don't, you know, do drop down your meat-free days if it's coming from outside of the UK because that's mm. brought, you know, the corrugated chicken, corrugated, corrugated chicken, and then yeah. we've got the Brazilian beef that they're cutting down trees and stuff like that. Yeah, you cut down that, but don't yeah. feel bad about it. And like I said, you're all adults. You're all making conscious decisions, whether or not you don't think it now. And I, like... And it's brilliant when I do it with someone else because then if you make we go in with two people yeah. and sometimes head up male, female, male, male, mm. male. I like I like when I go in with someone that doesn't look like a, a farmer. Yeah, like myself, I like to think. So the first thing I ask, like everyone, close their eyes, picture a farmer, yeah. and open them. Do you think it's going to be me? Or the, <laughs> I did it with another uh, a girl, Connie um, Connie Reeves, and I was like, well, do you look at think she looks the farmer looks like her? And yeah. Like, I know, you know, you look nothing like we thought it was going to do. So there's a bit of breaking the stereotypes in yeah. there as well. And then going back to the careers as well, I put out a tweet. I don't know if saw it. Um, I've done a talk on careers in agriculture, and I wanted to know, like, I could, have written a list, I could have wrote a list about careers that I thought of. I was like, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. I want to know, if you're in agriculture, tell me what you do and why you love it. Yeah. And I had 100, 117 or 118 responses. Yeah. All right. Nearly seven of them were dairy farmers because they really like shouting about their dairy farms. Yeah. But there's other jobs that you didn't think about. And one that really stuck in my mind was there's a lady from the Institution of Research Studies at, I can't remember what the university is now, it's, it's gone, but um, her job was to get funding into research into agricultural projects mm. uh, going to disease and different ways of farming and climate, you know, the way carbon and stuff. That was her job to get money to make sure there's enough to do the research. Mm. Just a little job like that you don't think affects my business, but it does. Yeah. Like, thank, thank, I, hate, I hate the phrase, thank a firm. Mm. I hate the phrase. Now, I'm going to explain this because I only grow the stuff. That's all I do. I get the seed, put it in the ground, tender it, and then mm. there's people before me that start the chain off. Yeah. Then after me that carry the chain on. Mm. So I'm only part of the chain. So when people say thank a firm of your food, it's like, well, no, you need to thank the seed. The whole team, the yeah. Yeah, the lorry driver that brought it, the, the research that went into creating that seed, you know, just, just the admin to get the bills there and then the agronomist, grain merchant, you'll sell it to them, they sell it to someone else. It's just a whole range of, I mean, even people like you do like podcasts, like yourself, you listen mm. to a podcast, wait a minute, that's a better idea, I can do it that way. Mm. Just that influenced me to make, you know, make the food. There's a whole range of us, it's not just the farmer. Yeah. That's why I really hate when I see them saying, like, no. Yeah, if you ate, yeah, if you ate today, thank farmer. It's like yeah, yeah. No, I no, I, t I totally get that. Um, it, I yeah, yeah. It's um, there is a bigger team. Um, yeah. that are kind of it, or you know, and that forms part of our industry, and it is trying to promote the diversity and different career opportunities, oh. and and the way that you 
can get into those industries as well because you don't have to be born into agriculture. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm one of those that, although I grew up in a rural area, I wasn't, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I married a farmer and live on a farm, but actually I always joke that I'm the farm diversification because <laughs> I know, you know, I, I can talk the talk and walk the walk and I have my own pigs and I, you know, I, I produce my own food, but actually I very much enjoy promoting the the industry and talking to people about the importance of buying British and backing British farming because again it's kind of you know you're a lot of farmers are so busy doing the do in terms of growing the crops or what have yeah. you um that actually they sometimes get a bit either complacent or or too busy but I think I think we are getting better I think at obviously um telling the story and I mean you're a classic example of you know being on social media doing your videos and you know you've done you incredible work on TikTok for example aren't you yeah these the videos that you I saw I had a quick look like one one video got over a million impressions didn't it yeah no, I got some really really TikTok's a, TikTok's a funny one because I started doing this through lockdown yeah if you're in a tweet if you do this on a farm let us know and just show some videos so we can get these into school so I started, I was doing my school talks anyway. So I thought, wait, well, I can't get to school. This is a brilliant idea. I'll, I'll do this. So I like showing what we do on a farm and how we do it. Very basic stuff. So there's a lot of, look at my tractor, press this button, it does that. And then a bit of life on the farm and stuff like that. And when I got into uh, schools and stuff, I always joke, I'm on social media, find me, Farmer Luke, look for me. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, wherever it was. And uh, this, this, this group of girls walked by and just laughed. Hey, Facebook's for your mum. Mm. What? Get it. Come on. <laughs> They're like, what, 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 what? And I was like, what do you mean for your mum? And they said about, well, my mum's on Facebook, we don't go on that. I was like, what about Instagram? Nah, no, nah, it's a bit too, it's a bit too flashy, you know, it's a bit too uh, for us. And I was like, all right, so what do you look at? TikTok, what? Mm. Oh, I love TikTok, TikTok, TikTok. So anyway, I got home that night, I looked through TikTok and I was absolutely horrified at some of the videos that are on there around agriculture. Mm. Now, there is some really good people on TikTok, I'm not bashing the app at all, but there's some younger kids that are, uh, like going back to the teenagers that are in agriculture, they're very impressionable, driving tractors with the door open, hanging out the door. Mm. You know, I was like, this is not what British agriculture is about. And this is where we have to get slightly better. Like I just said a minute ago about promoting ourselves. Mm. I truly believe that British agriculture should look at itself as a brand. Mm. Now, what I mean by that is you don't see anyone, any other brand, um, like Coca-Cola, for instance, letting their workers do silly stuff, take videos in the factory, that aren't approved by themselves. So like showing how the Coke cans of, you know, made and stuff like that, and if it's anything mm. dangerous in the background, that video gets shut down. Mm. And I really think British agriculture should kind of kind of be the same. I'm not saying it's a bit harsh, but look at itself that we are a brand to the British consumer. We're not just um, individuals who are like, we are British farming. Yeah. And all these videos, and I thought that don't represent us very well. And I knew that the youngsters watch it and they're impressed. I was like, right, let's go. I'm going to do exactly the same as what I do in my videos, but try and do it in a TikTok style. Yeah. I haven't jumped on any trends yet with any dances. No, I don't. I don't think you need to do that, though. That's what I always uh, say. Oh God, it annoys me so much when people have to feel like they have to jump around in a yard with a bit of blue pipe or something to some dark. You know, I think yeah. no. Actually, you're being quite um, informative and engaging, and you're talking about you know what does this machine do? And uh, and I saw recently you've done some about you know or you know you've had some arguments with your dad or your oh. brother. That's kind of like farming the way you know and the challenges you have on the day-to-day -day. and i was like yeah i know 
I know, yeah. You know, George worked work with family, that's hilarious. Mm. So I, like, I do like chucking a bit of um, humour in there occasionally, just showing mm. what it's actually like to be a farmer, if you like. Mm. Again, trying to break the stereotype that that people don't really know about. We kind of set in our ways, grumpy, so to speak, mm. or mm. or like we don't know what we're doing and stuff. You know, you, you know what I mean? So I thought I'd chuck a little bit of that in. It kind of yeah. makes it. Yeah, no, and I think that really resonates. I think that's, you know, I think that's why you're doing so well and that you're getting a good track, you know, good following from it and a lot of engagement. Yeah. So, you know, that's what it's all about. It's, a, you know, it just takes the time to build up that following and, you know, editing your videos and, um, you oh, know, that's... it's not like you can just sort of stick it up there and be like, oh yeah, that'll do. You know, there's so much more to it in this day and age isn't there i enjoy i enjoy doing it as well because i know tiktok you've got what like three seconds to hook them in if you don't hook a viewer in that's it you've gone so my yeah. three seconds to hook them in and then the rest of the video you've got to keep them entertained as well and that's why i like kind of doing that short format because you need to show exactly what you want get the right information out there and to make sure that's the message you want to want to send if you don't read so that yeah. so I, I mean that's the bit that i really am um, I would say addicted to it, if you like. Yeah, you know, it is a bit of it. Yeah, because you're kind of trying to beat yourself to make sure that you can do it. And if you get the viewers, you know they've done something wrong. I know it's all a lot about viewers, but you know that you've hit a subject there. Yeah, kind of well to show like the downside of farming as well on there, like the sugar beet we just alluded to. I done a video mm. about that and about why the crops kind of gone. Yes, I've got a load of people that said um, gave me some. Gave me some advice, so to speak. You know, <laughs> the other way of giving advice on the internet. Yeah. I've only, funny enough, I've only, I know I'm doing quite well because I've only had, I don't know if it's bad or not, I've only had two people that disagreed with me on something. Apart from that, everyone's kind of commented, everything's been positive. Apart yeah. from two people, one, how do you drive a tractor? I compared it to like driving a car. Mm. That didn't go down a tree. Apparently, it's nothing like a car. Mm. Well, in my mind, people have never set foot in a tractor before. There's a steering wheel clutch brakes and this one I had had gears to my mind that is simplest way to explain to someone it's a car yeah that, that particular chap did not get it at all <laughs> you're never gonna win everyone though are you I think yeah no especially yeah. I've got to limit myself to a minute at least or less um, I can't go into how many there's 26 7 you know thousand gears on a tractor yeah, and then yeah. Sort of, oh, what before and then you've got to spend another 10 seconds explaining yeah, but it, 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 I suppose it then makes you think about the content that you can create or then think, oh, oh, I'll do something more about that because, you know, yeah. it will lead me down that avenue. Um, but, yeah, yeah. no, it, I mean, you're doing amazing work, on, you know, and I think, you know, uh, it, it's I'm inspiring really to in, encourage other people to kind of tune in and what have you. Um, I, I, I really appreciate when someone from the industry or works on the farm says that mm. because, A, they know what I'm on about. Like, yeah. I'm doing such basic stuff. They they know exactly what I'm about. I'm not groundbreaking. I'm not. I'm not saying anything groundbreaking or, any, or anything new. They don't know. So when they say, "Actually, I watch your videos," I find it quite funny. Yeah. I love that. It's like you don't have to watch them if you know what I mean. You you've got a choice not to because I'm doing something you've just done or you're doing at the minute. And you're watching my video. We sat on a tractor. Like. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, absolutely. No, uh, it, you know, I think keeping it simple is often the best way because then that's how, you know, you do, people will, you are stopping the scroll. You're thinking, oh, you know, and you, people get to know who you are and, you know, things like that and aligning yourself with certain groups and organisations yeah. um, is brilliant. Let, let's talk about cooking. Do you, do you enjoy cooking? I do enjoy cooking, actually, funny enough. I really do. Brilliant. I, yeah, I, I do. We have um, I, I, I like. We have a Sunday where we sometimes do a roast or we do something a little bit different. Yeah. Wherever that might be, we put a little bit more effort into it. 
because we're the same as everyone else, alluding back to shopping and cooking and stuff. People have got busier lives. You see, mm. recipes. Even when I get home, we've got young children. They want to be fed, and you know what children are like now. They can't yep. wait. And me and the wife, we don't have a schedule at all, so we don't take it in turns to cook. We have this really weird thing where whoever kind of comes home first kind of starts, and then probably the other person will just take over for a minute or two, and they'll disappear, and then someone else will finish it off. Mm. Or something like like, she, like last night we were doing um, spaghetti bolognese, yeah. and um, I cut the stuff up, and then I went off to go and sort out the kid, and then Karen carried on. And then I come back and finish something off and put something else in the oven. And it's just, it's a, it's a really weird system we've got. It's not like, <laughs> right, Tuesday you're cooking. It's always, it just seems to be with kind of going together for it, if you like. And just one takes over, then one don't. And yeah, so it's, it's really weird. But no, I do really enjoy cooking. And I yeah. think I'm a, a half decent chef as well, believe it or not. Oh, very good. So what, yeah. so what would be your repertoire then? So you're obviously uh, uh, quite a fate at spaghetti bolognese. What else is uh, on, <laughs> on, on on the ablet menu um, of a week? Lasagna. We yeah. eat a lot of potatoes. A yeah. lot of potatoes. <laughs> Jacket potatoes and sausages is our kind of go-to what we're going to have meal. You know yeah. I mean? so we have a lot of them, cottage pies, you know, the real old school, old school stuff. Traditional stuff, yeah. Yeah, you go back to when we were younger, that's what we had. I mean, I went off potatoes for a while because I was force-fed so much as a child. <laughs> when, I, when I was on like a make-me-self tea and stuff like that, it's like, oh, I'm really sick of potatoes. Yeah, yeah. I love them again, and I've got to think it's something to do with my mother. Because I've got to say, she's probably going to listen to this. She's a terrible cook. Mm. <laughs> she's an absolute terrible cook. She doesn't like cooking. She doesn't really do it. So we go around every Tuesday night because um, mum looks after the, um, my child on a Tuesday. We go around for tea afterwards. Nice. It's guess what it is, and it's just swimming in water and stuff. But no. <laughs> going back to that, oh, poor mum. Oh, oh, seriously. I don't care. It's, oh, she's terrible. In fact, I've even said, let's just do Fish and Chip Tuesdays when we go to the chip shop. Yeah. But, uh, we all, uh, we try to have a Sunday roast as well on a Sunday. We love a, we love a roast in this house. Uh, Toad in the hole, you name it. We try, even though I, I'm, li- I, if there's a cooking show on TV and stuff, I stop and watch it. Yeah. Yeah. I just can't look flick by it and just watch what they're doing. Yeah, I know, but that's important because, I mean, that's sort of the whole premise of this podcast on my food blog. It's kind of like no fuss meals with busy parents. So it's kind of knowing about what is produced in this country and inspiring people with easy recipes that you can follow that, you know, everyone is busy uh, in this day and age. There's too much going on, but you want to eat well and you don't want to eat processed food all the time. So, you know, just being able to sort of chuck it all together and then, you know, you've got a nice meal and you can feed your family. I mean, that to me is what I find, you know, hugely important, which is kind of what motivates me to kind of do all of this sort of stuff. (laughs) Definitely, like Jack, my son, actually come up in a bit of a rash around his face the other week. Mm. And we was at a um, nursery and they had um, a spaghetti on an ace, funny enough. Okay, I'll tell you I keep mentioning spaghetti Yeah, it was a tomato, in it. No, they had the sauce from As- um, Asda sauce or wherever it was, and he come up in a rash. Yeah. So we've had tomatoes before because we've done it, but we're too, um, we don't buy the sauces. It's so much easier just to make it at home, yeah. not more effort. Yeah. So we do that. We never really buy sauces, we just make our own. Yeah, so yeah. I don't know whether there's something in there that's an additive he's not used to or whatever, but no, you mm. said about putting, putting meals together from scratch. I mean, we're not exactly, I'm not standing here saying we're holier than thou at all because mm. we have, we, we had a frozen piece the other night. Other than that, <laughs> I, yeah. no. yeah, we still got freezer in the stuff as, uh, as an emergency. But yeah, yeah not- same, yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, we always have alpha bites or, you know, and fish fingers and, you know, stuff that is, because you're not superhuman and sometimes, 
you know, you do need to shove things in the oven and, and be quick. We, you know, you have got busy lives, but if you kind of, it's for, for me, it's always about promoting the hero ingredients, isn't yes. it? Um, you know, thinking about um, you know, sausage or leeks or, you know, whatever, whatever it is. Um, and kind of thinking and meal planning as well. I, I'm quite, I'm getting better at meal planning actually, because I just, I just can't think straight sometimes. I think, oh, well, what am I going to cook tonight? And like right now, if I know what, what I've got in and I can kind of plan and work yeah. out, you know, on the days where the kids are at after school club, so I don't need to feed them. So it, and Andrew and I can have something a bit more spicy or, you know, just stuff like that. I think in that helps with food waste as well. Yeah. Um, because, yeah. then, you know, Planning is the biggest thing with us is we plan meals and then if something comes up, I don't get home like later or Carolyn don't get home and all of a sudden I whack the meal out out mm. bounce. That that is the biggest thing for us when we're about food waste or not keeping on track. It's something that comes up at night where you're like, Well, I wasn't planning for that. Yeah. I've got meeting tonight and it's like, Well, you never said no, I only got organized this morning. Well, that's just because we don't want to we we cook quite happily for you know, as a family, we all sit at the table, that's one thing. I, me and Carolyn is set on we sit at the table we eat together we've done we've done that even we, when we was first together and the same even mm. more our son, we sit at the table with him we don't let him have his meal he sits with us we have it yeah. with him so it's even harder now like when I go out or Carolyn goes out and it's only just me and Jack it's like well, what what do we do like that's kind of whack <laughs> meal, meal prep out so therefore that's where we have the fish fingers come out of. Yeah, yeah, something <laughs> quick and easy. So definitely. Um yeah. how 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 can people find out more about you then, Luke? Uh tell us your social media handles so people can follow you. Right, here we go. I'm on Facebook, Down on Danger Farm. I'm on uh Instagram, Down on Down on Danger Farm. Uh Twitter, TikTok, Down on Danger Farm. Twitter, on Danger Farm, because I couldn't fit Down on Danger Farm. Yeah. And I'm on YouTube as well. I will upload some more videos on YouTube when I get around but it's kind of cutting it and stuff like that put it together and finding content that's, that's funny but i still try and do reels because i think that's the best way to get the message british message across and what we actually do on the farm is yeah. under any more than that people get bored i get definitely bored. definitely and i'll put all the links in the show notes as well so people can kind of click on there as well and find you um but here are some time saving hacks for you to try at home so I'm mixing it up. And instead of a time-saving hack this week, I'm giving you a budget-saving hack. We are all feeling the pinch right now and thinking about how and where we spend our money. I came across a super tasty recipe from the ladies and pigs for sausage and cheese breakfast muffins, which uses vegetable oil instead of butter. So you'll need 500 grams of plain flour. I use a gluten-free version as I'm gluten intolerant. 170 grams of grated cheese, 400 grams of cooked sausage meat, four eggs, 330 mils of milk, and then um, some baking powder, a little bit of xanthan gum, again, because I'm gluten intolerant. You don't need to use that if you're uh, uh, normal <laughs> uh, and don't have dietary requirements. And then instead of the butter, you use 75 mils of vegetable oil. And so the recipe um, is so it's super easy. I will put it in the, sh in, in the show notes. But you basically combine um, the wet ingredients together the dry ingredients together then put it all together into little muffin cases put it in the oven for 12 to 15 minutes until they're sort of golden brown and they just make like really nice like savory cakes that you can have at breakfast or at lunch you can freeze them you can use them whenever they're also quite good for lunch boxes as well for the kids or for the dads you know it's it's a really really easy meal and yeah so using um vegetable oil instead of 
um, your butter um, seems to be quite a nice uh, budget saving hack. So just give that a go. I mean, I, I've tried it with a few cakes as well. And actually, it, it works quite well. And I've actually, if you look on my No Fest Meals for Busy Parents food blog, I've got an easy peasy tea cake recipe. And that doesn't use any fat at all. Um, so, and that that's a case of just throwing it all in a bowl, mixing it, putting it in the oven for an hour. Jobs are good. And so that's my style of cooking. In season right now, April time, asparagus, spring onions, Jersey Royals, spring greens. All of this produce is packed full of goodness and grown here in the British Isles. I actually grow asparagus, I grow salad potatoes and spring greens, and there is nothing more satisfying than going to the bottom of the garden and digging up my own produce. And you can do it too. Even if you have a small window box, you can grow spring onions, some herbs or some potatoes in a potato sack. Or when you're heading to do your weekly shop, look for the red tractor logo on the packaging. Some farmers and food producers sell direct from the farm gate or a farm shop. So take the time to know what's in your local area and support those small businesses with purchasing some hero ingredients like salad potatoes, asparagus or spring greens or like Luke with his chip potatoes. Asparagus is super tasty in a risotto or pan fried with a piece of meat or fish. Salad potatoes, once boiled up, can be eaten hot or cold as part of a salad or an accompaniment to meat and two veg. How does that sound, Luke? Really great. Anything from ladies and pigs, I'm all over. I've worked <laughs> with them before. They come into schools with us in breakfast week. They're the ones that do the sausages. I, they, they come down and explain the kids. I think they're all brilliant. I've met a fair few of them. They're lovely. Anything that they say goes, especially Debbie. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I've had a lot. I've been doing a lot of work with Debbie. No, uh, Ladies and Pigs is a brilliant organisation, and it's basically a group of women who are involved in the pig industry, who again uh, work to help inspire and educate children in schools, but but anyone um, to kind of really understand what you can do with pork and you know feed your family. Okay, that's all we've got time for to get today. Don't forget to tune in to the next episode of the Countryside Kitchen Meets on the first of each month. You can subscribe on all of the major podcast streaming platforms and get in touch. Would you like to be on a future episode? How about sponsoring a future episode? Want to chat to me about what you do and share some recipes too? Drop me a line at hello at millie5.com. And you can also follow my food blog, No Fuss Meals for Busy Parents, on Facebook, Instagram, and at www.nofussmealsforbusyparents.com for more top tips, time-saving hacks, and recipe ideas. Luke, thank you so much. I very much have enjoyed look, learning about all the incredible projects um, you're involved with. And I know the listeners will have taken so much from this interview. So thank you. Keep up the amazing work. Thank you. I hope I didn't ramble too much. <laughs> no, you've been amazing. You've been amazing. Thank you so much. Right, that's all we've got time for. See you soon. 